Hello, I'm Reagan Kramer, host of Revelations Podcast, where we are devoted to sharing the revelation of Jesus Christ and the freedom that comes from following him through the biblical teachings and redemptive stories of our guests. Please follow us on social at the revelations.podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can view all of our podcasts. You can always find our shows on all podcast platforms. Well, we have an incredible show for you today. So wherever you are, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him as you listen. Enjoy. Psalm 91, if you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is a song that I feel like I lived 12 years ago. This is a big part of my story, but it is really God revealing himself through this story and who he is. I have told tidbits and pieces of this along the way, but God has prompted me now to tell it in full for such a time as this. This season of Revelations podcast is called Loved. 1 John 4.19 tells us that we can love because God first loved us. God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. Love is made complete when we have confidence, trust, and faith in who God says He is, our rescuer, redeemer, miracle worker, and lover of our souls. I pray my story honors Jesus and reveals to you the love that He has for you, that He is so personal and intimate when we call out to Him, and even through our deepest struggles and most difficult experiences, he is there with us, guiding us, strengthening us, and increasing our faith. He never wastes our suffering, and He will use it according to His perfect will and way in our lives. So He is glorified. I was just going to tell the story on my own, but then I realized I needed my husband here. Welcome, George. Thanks for asking me. Dr. George Kramer is back. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I'm glad to be back. And you're such a big part of the story, too, because... I'm glad you're back. That's a story. That's yeah. the biggest thing for me is she came back. Yeah, 12 years from ago. From Haiti. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of people don't probably know what we're talking about. But 12 years ago in Haiti, there was a, a great and um, strong and tremendous earthquake. And it was January of 2010. And why don't we... George, will you just give our listeners a little background of like what was going on in our life when this occurred and why I was there? Oh, well, we were married <laughs> um, five years, six years. And uh, the 
our older boys were on their own. My stepson In college or, or out of. And we'd been, um, I'd been building a practice. You were working. We were doing a lot of mission trips, actually, to Belize and, mm-hmm. and Haiti. I'd been to Haiti uh, almost 10 years earlier, 10 and 9 years earlier. We were there just six months before the earthquake, you and I, mm-hmm. um, for different purposes. I was, mission, I was doing medical missions uh, in the early 2000s where we would carry in um, a, a clinic and into the mountains in a village that didn't have any water and people would walk four days to see a doctor. I saw some 40-year-olds that had never seen a doctor. And so we did that. That was once some of it. And then the, you can talk about the, the, the M house and then the other things we did. But um, So we were doing, we were, we were busy in our lives and God was good. We were waiting we were waiting and praying for uh, a baby that wasn't wasn't showing up, but uh, later God answered that uh, prayer wonderfully too. Yeah, He did. Yes. So this particular trip in January, I was co-leading a team, and we always would stay at a place called the Mafi Bochet Home in Port-au-Prince, right outside of Port-au-Prince. And the Mephibosheth home, I say it different ways because that's how Haiti, Haitians say it too, but mm-hmm. the Mephibosheth home is where it was a beautiful uh, family of special needs children. So in Haiti and in some other places around the world, um, special needs kids and special needs people in general, uh, sometimes the indigenous people think that they're a curse and not a blessing. And... So unfortunately, the Mephibosheth home that was named after um, some verses in Second Samuel where it was actually Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was lame. Um, his feet didn't work is what the Bible says. It was actually Saul's son, I think. No, it was Jonathan's. Oh, Jonathan's, yes. Saul's Don't worry, son. I already just looked yeah, this up again. Up. Okay, that's Yeah, it was Jonathan's. Jonathan, and then right. David took him in later on after Jonathan died and let him sit so at the king's table. And it's a beautiful story. So it was Saul's grandson. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> but it's a beautiful story. And that's what the name, they named this home because they wanted these children to feel loved and included and sit at the king's table, you know, Mm -hmm. and teach them about Jesus. And we fell in love with this home. We had been going there for years that on and off the two of us through uh, a church that we were going to at the time with pastor Steve Hansen, who was a wonderful friend of ours and also a mentor to us for many years. And then he started beyond our door global, which is still going. He's retired, but um, Al Shuck is running that now, and it's a phenomenal ministry if you want to look that up. But in that January time of 2010, when this earthquake happened, I was co-leading a team with Pastor Steve Hansen, and we were having a phenomenal trip. I mean, we were doing all the things that you want to do. We were going to the Mother Teresa's um, Sisters of Charity's home where we were feeding and taking care of the really sick and and dying babies that moms would walk miles and miles from different villages just for sit on the curb and wait to get in so they could these nurses could see what was wrong with their sick babies and it was heart-wrenching but it was one of those beautiful places on earth because you could just love on these children and sing to them and feed them and and rock them and you've been there George I mean it's Mm -hmm. it's hard to explain in words yeah, it's a 
amazing place in a horrible environment for kids and, and sick people. Um, and uh, Mother Teresa's sister to charity um, just take in and live there and and spend their lives you know, trying to save babies. And um, and it's a real compassion and a real loving, giving uh, place. And, and uh, um, people appreciate it the, uh, very much. And we are privileged to be able to help there a little. Yeah, yeah, big time. It was a complete privilege. And just so our listeners know, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And so there is a ton of poverty. There is a ton of um, just lost people. They, they're spiritually, they practice a lot of voodoo. Some do, and then there's a lot of Catholicism, and sometimes it's mixed together. There are Christians there, and evangelical Christians, but it's just a very interesting mix of religion and spirituality. Would you agree? Yes, yes, and it's a, a little always politically up. Uh, there's upheaval mm-hmm. all the time there. Politically, and strife and mm-hmm. and poverty and violence, gangs, violence, kidnapping, and we will talk about that at the end. We'll be able to pray for them because that's going on right now in Haiti. Um, but on January twelfth, two thousand ten. It was the end of our trip, and like I said, we had a great trip, and we got to love on the kids at the, we call it the M House, the Mephibosheth home, and uh, watch them do school and pray over them and bless them and uh, help them do some things and sing with them and worship with them and uh, go to the the Mother, Mother Teresa's home and all the things that we do. It was our last night at the M House, and the next day we were going to go to a hotel a regular hotel just to like take a shower and unwind before we flew home. And um, so we got home from Mother Teresa's and like you're hot, it's like 95 degrees and it's like, I just want to shower and something to eat, you know? And so everyone was kind of unwinding on the porch and that's where all of the special needs kids would hang out in the afternoon after school and just have fun. And, you know, it was super loud and vibrant. And I was just kind of in this like very thankful mood. And I went up, I climbed up this ladder and went to the rooftop of the M house. And I was just praising God. And I was looking up over, I mean, Haiti, the island is actually like really mountainous and pretty. There's not a lot of trees there anymore, but it's it's pretty. And I was just on the roof and I was praising God for what he had done. The sun was kind of starting to go down. Praying, praising God for our team and all the wonderful people that we had on it and how we were all getting closer to Jesus. And I came down from that um, feeling just really overwhelmed with his love. And <laughs> I walked through the kitchen onto the porch to just be with the kids and the other teammates. And I heard this rumble. It sounded like a lion was literally coming out of the ground. And keep in mind, in Haiti, there's noises everywhere. Like there's construction going on all the time. There's horns beeping. And we're in this gated community, not community, gated area where there is this home where these kids live and there's staff. And there's like one room for part of our team and another room for the other part and but it's a it's a fairly large compound for Port-au-Prince but right outside is chaos all the time and I mean stores and people talking and yelling and so 
when you hear a noise, you're like, okay, someone probably just, you know, crashed into each other or whatever in their cars or in their tap taps. They call those little taxi things. colorful buses. Yeah. But then it it kept happening and it it felt literally just so, um, it, it, it came out of the ground where I could tell within a few seconds, this was not something normal. And it was just like this roar. And I had been in a couple earthquakes before in Central America, but not to this level. So it took me a couple seconds to realize, okay, I think we're actually in an earthquake. Um, and as this was all happening, I looked out the front past the porch and I could see the bus. They had a bus on their property and it was literally bouncing up and down like a ball. I mean, it was just, mm. and it's like, and so I'm watching all these kids who some of them can't walk. Some of them are in wheelchairs and they're screaming. And I jump on top of Dadu, who at the time was maybe seven or eight, this little boy who was adorable. He's bouncing all over on this tile porch. And I jump on top of him and I just start screaming, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all I could say. And I was like, Jesus, please stop, please stop. And when you're in that situation, it feels like an absolute eternity that this is happening. Mm -hmm. But it was 45 seconds and it was a 7.0 magnitude earthquake, which we found out later. But I'm just, I'm laying over him and then I hear Steve, our pastor, screaming. He's He had just <laughs> walked in the gate. He had just gotten into the property because he was outside talking to some of the local vendors that are his friends and hanging out with them. By the grace of God, he comes back in before the earthquake. He's screaming, everybody outside, everybody outside of the building, because everyone mm-hmm. was inside. The roof was over the porch. And I'm like, yes. And it, honestly, I don't know how we did it. It was maybe, it, it felt like two minutes that 25 special needs kids got outside of a home onto the ground outside without anything over their head. And it had to be supernatural because there is no way that we could have carried those kids. There was maybe mm-hmm. eight of us. We had two other teammates, Todd and Mary Burleson, that left the night before because they had to get home from for some work. And so I think there was eight of us left, seven or eight, and we got all of these kids out. The um, Pastor Dio, who runs the home, and Madam Dio, his wife, who are Haitian. He's a Haitian pastor. They were at the, their local church that um, that we, it was in the middle of being built, and they were in the basement of the church when this happened, deciding on paint colors mm-hmm. with forty other people. And so this all happens where they're not there. It's just these Americans and some of the staff. We we don't speak Haitian Creole. We, we have, I don't know if you want to tell them now or later, but there's a, a miracle. They were in the basement and the whole... Oh, I'm, I'm getting there. You're getting there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was... Yeah, that's a miracle. But when you read that part of Psalm 91, um, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, I just think of those kids and how the angels had to ha- help us get them out so quickly because we didn't know if that building was going to collapse. And... By the grace of God, everybody got out ex- so fast, and everyone. And we were just like making sure: okay, is Dadu here? Is Kenzie here? Looking for all these kids. Everyone made it out. All the staff, and they're screaming and they're crying and they're wailing 
because they don't know what's going on. They hadn't, there hadn't been an earthquake there in a hundred years. And so they think, the Haitians think the world is coming to an end. And we know, most of our team, like we just went through an incredibly horrible earthquake. And we're trying to communicate this to them and like we're gonna be okay and everyone's okay, everyone's alive, everyone's out. Um, but at that time, once you kind of just get your bearings again, I realized this isn't okay. Like there, whatever just happened, like you could smell the dust, you could smell death, you could smell, it was, there's really no words to describe it at the time, but I have never seen kids pray and cry out to God in a way that they did at that time because they literally did not know what was going on and they knew that Jesus was their only hope. So at that moment, once I got my bearings and knew everyone was okay, I just said to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, please let everyone at home know we're okay. Please let everyone at home know we're okay. Because I, on the team, I had one of my good friends who'd never been on a mission trip, her niece, who was only like 19 at the time and never been on a mission trip. And I was really wanting at least that family to know that we were alive because I could start to feel the gravity of what happened. And I started going in the house to get my cell phone and Pastor Steve was screaming at me. He's like, nobody in the house, nobody in the house because we still didn't know. I mean, and, and the earth was still calming down. And I did it anyway. And I saw my cell phone on my bed as I'm praying, Lord, help, let them know at home we're okay, we're alive. And as I picked up my phone, it was ringing and it didn't have a name on it, but you know, when you're in another country, it just has a yeah. number calling you. And so I looked at the number and I just like, I don't know, but I answered it and it was you. Yeah, yeah. So where were you at during this time? I, I was on my way to a business meeting and I got a call from one of the guys and he said, George, there's just an earthquake in Haiti. It looks really bad. And he was watching it on the news. And I said, oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> so I called. I mean, what were you feeling? Was your heart like beating out of your chest? Were you like, it can't be that bad? I go, I had, I, I had no idea. I mean, I, he said it's pretty bad. It looks really bad. <clears throat> I thought I, I just got to find out, you know, mm -hmm. what's going on if I can. So that's why I called and said a prayer and dialed the phone. So, yeah. So I enter and I'm like, Hello. Probably speed dialed the phone. Probably, I'm sure I had your name. Though. Yeah, you just, <laughs> and I'm like, hello. And you're like, honey. And I just, all I said is, we're alive. We're all okay. And at that at that time, by then, I don't know. I don't know if then I, I think I had, and we didn't talk long. No, it was like ten seconds. Yeah, and then I think I tried to text you later, and I had got home and they said that you know there was nobody knew what was going on and they mm -hmm. saying there might be a tsunami well you told me that over the phone oh i did so i said we're he must have told me it on the yeah what he saw on the news yeah i said we're Which, alive we're okay and then you said okay thank god there could be a tsunami coming so you need to prepare for that and it's like what yeah, how do you do that what are you talking about it didn't happen thank god but but then was a, the, the phone clicked there i mean that was it for 36 hours and everyone I've talked to since that who was there which wasn't very many people that I knew but 
the people in the States couldn't get a hold of anybody at all for 36 hours. So that was a miracle that God gave us that connection. That, that was such a relief. I mean, everyone, oh. it was, we were so blessed to have that message and, and, and you know, to know that you were, everyone was at least alive and okay yeah. Yeah. in that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just found a whole bunch of emails this morning about that time and the emails going back and forth between you and you know all my friends in ministry and my friends and family and our family and everyone was like you know please tell me she's okay <laughs> like they're emailing you and you knew you had you knew but most people are watching the news and all they can think about is i'm not alive you know one of my friends was laying on the kitchen floor bawling her head off and her husband squawks in and is like what's going on and she's like i think reagan's dead because you just you, we the people watching on the news knew more than we did because we were in this little compound and told not to go anywhere because it was too dangerous. I mean, Haiti's very dangerous now, but it was still dangerous back then. So, okay, so the Lord gave us that gift of letting us know, you know, that we were okay. Um, and then we come to the realization back at the M house that where is Dio and Madame Dio? Lord, please bring them home, the pastor that runs this home that we love so much, that we're friends with, that loves these children. And I'm just going to give you an example of these children who live there. Um, there's one young girl, she was young at the time, she loved, and she was found at the gate with a note on the gate, and she was didn't have a lot of clothes on when she arrived, and that you know there's it she was not in a good spot she hadn't eaten for we don't know how long but the note said she's no longer needed and so these are the kind of kids that just makes me cry that um were unwanted but the lord brought them to this home to be loved and so you know here's this man and his wife who have given a lot of their life for this home and to take care of these kids and to love them and show them the love of Jesus that um, the world, you know, they were living in was a complete opposite. You know, a lot of them were living in hell or being brushed under a table, a dirt table, because nobody, they don't want anyone to see them, you know. Yeah, or in the back. Yeah. Or in the back room with one meal a day, if that. I mean, these are the kids at this house. So we were praying so hard for the Lord to bring them home, and we waited and we waited. It's getting dark. Um, nobody, we're all just like, "What are we? Are we going to sleep outside? It's getting cold. There's, there's mice and there's rats outside all over, and not all over, but they're there." Um, and interestingly, I was just thinking the other day too. I remember right before the earthquake it was a beautiful sunny day. They had cats on their property, and the cats were going crazy. They were like jumping off the walls and making weird sounds. And it's like in the back of your mind, like, what's going on with the cats? And I really think they knew that mm -hmm. something was coming. Yeah. They could feel the vibration of the earth. Mm -hmm. No, I think they do. Animals <laughs> do have that sense. Yeah. Before so that was like just that. like fascinating that they were like duck and cover, you know, and nobody knew what was going on. But um, so I think it was four or five hours later. And, you know, you're just so full of anxiety. You're sick to your stomach. You're what's going to happen now? Like, what if they don't come back? What are we going to do? How are we going to help these, 
these kids, these the staff. I mean, just a million questions going through your mind. And we had one nurse with us, Judy. That was such a blessing from God. And I think there was one or two knocks at the gate, and we let a few people in who were um, bleeding and you know had wounds. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, four or five hours later, comes this van, and we open the door, and there's like a body in the back. It's like wrapped in a sheet, and so I thought it was a dead body, but it wasn't. Mm. (laughs) It was a a young man who was very hurt. He had gotten hit in the head, and so his head was all bloody, but he was alive. And so we got him in, and then um, Judy was attending to him, and then it was around that time where... Dio and Madame Dio drove in, and we just, that's when I just kind of lost it, you know, like emotionally, because I didn't, I, you know, you're in shock, but then you're just hoping so badly that the people that you love are still alive. And so they came in the gate, and Madame Dio just looks straight in our eyes, and she goes, I pray around this property every single day. I pray around this compound, and I knew you were all going to be okay. I knew you were all going to be alive, but if you walk out that gate, I don't know what's going to happen to you. She was so confident and had so much faith that all of the kids were going to be fine and that God protected all of us, and she was right. So they lived, and they they were literally, so they came back with all these stories, and they were talking about how they're all having this meeting in the bottom and then the roof caves in on top of them. This was a huge church, like tall church, not huge, but tall. We were just there the day before and it collapsed on top of them and they- On top of the slab. On top of the slab of the basement they were under, they were in. They were under the slab, yeah. They were under the slab. Collapsed on everything but that. Yeah. Yeah, but the only thing that was left was the basement. And no one had a scratch on them. So they walk out and people start flooding the church and accepting Christ. And Dio's just speaking truth and sharing the gospel probably. I know he was like at one point he went out in the streets and just started sharing the gospel. And so out of all of that devastation, a lot of people, you know, I think once they realized the world wasn't coming to an end, accepted Christ in Port-au-Prince, which was such a beautiful thing. So that's what took them so long to even get back to us because they were in Port-au-Prince trying to minister to people and help people and love people and and be the church. And then hours and hours later, they finally um, came back. And so the miracle was at the M House, there was one crack in the entire building. Mm-hmm. And if you uh, looked around that city, over 200,000 people, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever have a death toll, but 200,000 people perished because the building, the infrastructure in Haiti was so bad. Yeah, most buildings are held together with a glop. uh, Some are homemade bricks with a glop of cement between them, not not mortar and and the M house was built to almost US standards you know our, our church had helped with that uh, to design it and get it to um to where it could be a strong structure yeah yeah um so that was a miracle um and we were so thankful for that yet we had this night where we didn't know 
what was next. And so it was just trying to help the people that were there, trying to calm the kids down. We finally got to a point in the middle of the night where it's like, okay, I think it's safe to go in the building and to go back in. And so we slowly started getting the kids back in there. And no sooner had that happened, I don't know how many hours, I mean, it's all a blur, but then there was one of the first tremors. God is on the move through Revelations podcast. Thank you for sharing words of encouragement and personal stories of how God has impacted your life through the redemptive stories of our guests. There are significant production and editing costs for each episode. So during this season, I'm hoping to build a team of financial supporters. If you feel led to be a part of what God is doing through this podcast, I would be honored and grateful for your partnership. There are two ways you can give financially. The first is through Venmo. Our Venmo username is at the Revelations Podcast. At the Revelations Podcast. You can also go to our website at www.therevelationspodcast.com and hit the contribute button. Thank you so much for your consideration and financially supporting the Revelations Podcast. So, you know, with earthquakes, there's tremors that come with them. That aftershocks. Yeah. Aftershocks that feel like you're having another earthquake. So think about, you know, already having panic and PTSD from this horrible earthquake, knowing there's not at that time. We didn't know how many people died, but we knew death was around us. Um, that then these tremors and these aftershocks come. And every time you have that same feeling and that same anxiety and stress of like what's going to happen. So it's like oh my goodness, do we stay in the house? And so I just remember this was like super ten tense and stressful and everyone was just trying to figure it out. And so we finally got the kids kind of settled. We felt safe because there had been a few tremors and the, the building was so solid. And so Dio comes in, Pastor Dio, and he's like, Regan, let, will you open your Bible? We need to read the word. Like we just need to follow God in this. We don't know what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I actually have the Bible here. Um, it's falling apart because it's so old. But I I opened it to Psalm 91. And I hadn't, he just said open the Bible. And that's what I did. And when I opened it, it said Haiti 2009. Now remember, this was oh, yeah. 2010. We were there six months earlier. And George and I were there six months earlier with another team. And I just had underlined that same verse. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And I think that the Lord literally had me write that six months before because he knew I was going to be there. And he knew that I needed to know and have that comfort that he was protecting us. Because how could I just open that and have Haiti 2009 be there? And I'm reading it. I read the entire Psalm 91, which starts with, most people know, because this is a psalm that David wrote that's just so powerful in the hands of danger, what God does. But he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And you've got to get your Bible out and read the whole thing um, because it's 
it's astounding when you're going through something like that and then you read it in the Bible and you're like, okay, God is real. God knows that this this happens and this isn't going to happen to everyone. But when you open it and you've just gone through it, your faith like explodes because you're like, there's already, how many miracles did we just experience already that we got the kids out safely? No one was hurt. Everyone was fine supernaturally with angels helping us and guiding us. The phone rang. You know, I open this to Psalm 91. We read it. We're all weeping. Pastor Dio's like, well, that, you know, that really brings it to another level. <laughs> this Psalm 91. I mean, he's just like, wow, the word is really coming alive. And, and it is because it's true and because God is our shelter and our refuge. So we're reading that and um we're just seek i mean we're just desperate for him we're like lord what is the next step there's no cell phone coverage there's no radios working um pastor dio is only able to tell us what he's seen in the night and he's saying it's horrible there's the, the building there's so many buildings that are just completely destroyed there's bodies everywhere you know um and, but I think at the time they were just really trying to focus on us and the kids. And when you're in a third world country and and you're, you have these beautiful indigenous people to the country that love you, they're so worried about you and wanting to get you home because they feel like you have given them so much or in reality they give us so much. That's how it always works. But I could tell that there was that worry in him that he wanted to get us home. And we didn't know then there was no way to get home. There... Go ahead. Uh, two things, but yeah, no, the, all the, the the runway was buckled. There's no yeah. planes coming in or out. Um, we tried. I was on the phone the next day with the Senate, calling senators and congressmen, and how do we get these people out of there? And um, had a lot of friends helping too, but um, yeah, it, there wasn't a way out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time yeah and it's like we wanted to leave but we didn't like we wanted to leave out of fear but we did not want to leave our friends and we did not want to leave the people no and it turns out later we knew that they wanted Mm -hmm. only people who could speak Creole and were medical trained was the only people they wanted to stay they wanted everybody out of there yeah because it's another mouth to feed another person to get hurt another Mm mm-hmm so we go through that night, and that was probably one of the hardest nights of my life um, because I could feel the darkness of death all around us and what the enemy wanted to take. I, it, it seemed like he wanted to take this opportunity to just instill deep fear and panic and anxiety in people. And it worked. I mean, and it's the unknown, you know, it's like you read Psalm 91 and it's like, oh, God is real. Oh, God is here. And then you try to go to sleep at night and there's tremors and there's um, people screaming outside of the walls that you're living in because they were squatters and half of their family just perished. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth the whole night is what it felt like and heard and it, you could hear, I mean, you could hear, like it did feel like a piece of 
hell that we were living in because of the screams and because of the uh, people that were so obviously torn up and upset about the people that they had lost, not to mention just their homes and everything that they owned. And and so I couldn't sleep at all. I felt super responsible for uh, you know all the women in the room and this young 19-year-old. And I got to the point where I just was so like, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, you're a doctor, but PTSD, shock. It's kind of, yeah, it's emotional paralyzation or shock. Paraly- yeah, yeah, I felt paralyzed, but yet I had you so were much. functioning. But so much anxiety, <laughs> I like needed to do something, but you can't do anything. There's nothing to do besides pray and, and love on these kids and hug them. And try to calm the rest of the well, people down. So I think, yeah. And, and some of the women could fall asleep, and I couldn't. I think me and my one friend, Lori, couldn't. And there was a moment in there where I I can't explain this except for this is what it felt like. I could I was like on the ceiling, and I could see my body in bed. I wasn't dying or anything, but I was in this state of fear and panic and anxiety that I wasn't thinking clearly and I wasn't, I, I think like my vagus nerve was probably completely set off like a bear was chasing me constantly and I couldn't calm it down. And I was, I like had this weird experience where I was not okay. And I remember that scaring me so much um, that I, I just, I think I literally just sat on my bed with Psalm 91 open the whole night. I really, I think I did. And my phone, just in case you called. And we finally got through that night. And the morning, you know, the light always shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So anytime the sunlight comes, right, it's like, you know, the devil's playground's usually at night. And um, you know how people say nothing good happens after dark. Yeah, after but midnight. It, after midnight. Um, but that was one of the hardest nights wondering, you know, what's going on out there and, and, just how horrible it was and wanting to help, but then not being able to go out because of safety issues and all the things. And we made it to morning, you know, and everyone's trying to just survive and help feed the kids and make food. And it's like, nobody feels like eating. Everyone feels like they're going to throw up constantly, you know, and then we start to realize, okay, like we start to see some of the devastation and look out the gate, you know, and see the dust everywhere, see the buildings. And um, it was beautiful. Some of the the kids, you know, they got old water bottles and they filled up their old water bottles with hoses. And it looked like people, their people were leaving Port-au-Prince, the city by the masses going past the M house. And um, there was just one part of the gate, like you could see outside. And uh, one of the kids was filling up the water bottles and handing people water through the gate, like from his hose, from the hose. And just, it was just so sweet to see these kids like help just to do one little thing, like give a cup of water to someone that looked like a zombie. I mean, it looked like there were zombies walking down the street, just trying to leave because everyone else was shocked and didn't know what to do. And they just didn't, they just wanted to get out of the city. So they were going into the hill country. Um, yeah. And so we, did what we could that day and we we tried to like clean the house and and the 
the staff like got really mad at us because it was disrespectful to try to clean. We just didn't know what to do. Like we just needed to do something. And um, so we ended up starting, then the radio started working. And what we we heard was that the hotel that we were supposed to be in the next day that we were going to, we were there the day before to take the kids to the pool. We rented it for the kids. And it's like the one highlight of the year they get to go to this pool. Um, but we were going to go back there that next night to stay overnight uh, the day after the earthquake. And that that hotel had severe damage. And so if it would have been one day later, we could have been in, in you know, a bad situation. And so we just kept hearing all these stories. And one of the the nicest hotel in Port-au-Prince, which I've never been to, was called the Montana. And there was a lot of journalists and people there just working. And that collapsed. And so um, there's a story that I'll talk about in a little bit about that. But it was that's when things started to happen. And we started to realize how bad this was. And I just remember I would look up at the ceiling, at the sky, and I would see these planes go by and so i'm like okay i see commercial jets coming in and out like there's got to be a way like i never saw delta i saw a lot of israeli planes i think some french um but i they just i mean it was like back and forth and, and back and forth and i know that they were providing medical assistance and and food and things like that but we didn't know what was going on with anybody, you know, trying to get out of the country. Then I started having like visions of people like scaling the walls with knives and just, you know, your brain kind of goes crazy because you just worry, you know, and yeah. people are hungry and people are desperate. They're desperate and hungry and, and they've just lost everything. And we all just were in a panic. Um, So, that was another like super hard night. And then we get to the next day and the team just starts to break down. I mean, I was too, but I had to hold it together because I was felt like I was co-leading. And Steve went out into the city, um, I think with Pastor Dio. And then some of us, he went out by himself with someone else. And then Pastor Dio took us up to Bethel, another town in the hills where they had a school and a church to make sure everything was okay. And it, it seemed like it would be safer out in the hills. And so we took a van up there and it was great because we got like some air and the everything was great at the church and everything was great at the school and it just felt a little more normal. But once we got there, um, the, these missionaries were coming down the hill trying to get to Port-au-Prince to the embassy and they're like what are you doing here and we're like we're just checking out Dio's school and making sure everything's okay and see, trying to get some food and they were like you should not be up here you got to get out of here it's getting crazy and so we're like and they're like you got to get to the embassy and that's how in shock we all were it's the first time I thought about the embassy mm -hmm. and it was at least a day later you know yeah, a and a couple days, couple I, days think. I think yeah it was a day two so and I had ahead. been texting I had to talk to the 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 um, senator's office, the congressman's office, and talked to, uh, got a list of everybody, and got it, the list to the embassy in uh, he, or here to be sent to Haiti, and they said they got to get to the embassy, they got to get to the embassy. So I was texting and calling and everything went through, but I, I sent many many texts, and so I, but we didn't know what was happening. We there was no contact yeah. from you, no nothing from. 
your end. But right. then you finally got the message from them to go to the embassy. <laughs> right. Because you didn't get it from me. <laughs> well, and then after that, coming down the hill, then like we started to see, you know, sheets covering piles and we started to realize okay those are people like those are people that didn't make it and it was just like you know surreal and really hard we you know I got to the point where I just had to kind of look straight ahead because like I don't want to see anymore like I don't want to admit that this is real and this is what has happened and um we got back to the M house safely we got some food for the kids and and it was really starting to feel stressful. Like we didn't need to be there because we were taking their food and we were trying not to eat hardly anything. But we just, it felt like yeah, it time. we don't want, we we were there for that purpose and to protect them where D, when Dio and Madame Dio were gone and to pray with them. But that um, we started to hear like, you know, they're trying to get everyone out of the country. And so your text started coming through. I think I got 23 texts when everything started to work and it was like, get to the embassy, get to the embassy. This person said, get I mean, it was a nonstop embassy text. And then Steve, Pastor Steve was out in Port-au-Prince while we were up in the mountains and he came back and he pulled me aside into this back room and he just wept. And he's like, you will not believe what I just saw. And he was a mess, of course. And I, I, I don't really, I, there were, I mean, he saw wheelbarrows, you know, and just, so hard to see and and he loves the Haitian they like his family and so for him it was like watching family members die while he's watching how horrible it is out there and um the building that he was in about two minutes before the earthquake was gone and so there was that was another miracle you know that he made it back into our compound but he looked at me and he just he's just you know, there's no words. And then he's like, we need to get to the embassy. I'm like, yeah, we all, <laughs> the Lord just told us now it's time to go to the embassy. And so um, that was good because that afternoon, you know, there was a few in instances where people on the team just got really full of stress and anxiety and kind of lost it, you know, and, and which is completely normal. And you know, how are we ever going to get home? What if we die? What, it, you know, and I'm thinking the same things. And what if we can't ever leave? And it's like, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road. Do, do we believe who God says he is? Do we believe that even if we die, we're going to live? You know, and so those are the kind of conversations that I had. Yet believing that he will take us home he will protect us i it's like i don't know if we're going to be here a week or three months but i believe that he is our rescuer whether we go to heaven or whether we go home to minnesota and that's just kind of where your brain goes is that eternal perspective when you're in those tragic situations where it's like do i believe what i say i believe Am I going to have faith? And I remember at that moment when one of one of the team members was just having a really hard time, and I was praying and I was like screaming in my prayers because I was just like begging God and 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 praying His word back to Him. Um, and it was it was a I felt like it was a turning point in my faith because 
what I wanted to do is go crawl in a hole and pretend that this wasn't happening, you know, and just make it be over. And, and I couldn't. And I had to just stand on the rock of who Jesus says that he is. And so we got through that prayer time. And I remember just saying in my heart, I'm like, Lord, if you want to, you can get us home earlier than even our ticket was supposed to be. We were supposed mm-hmm. to be home. Was it a Thursday or a like Friday? A Friday. A Friday. Yeah. Like mid-afternoon or, or late something? Late afternoon, yeah. Yeah. And the earthquake was happened Tuesday at 4, 3.45, I think. And, and so it was Thursday when all this happened. And then it was like, get to the embassy. And I prayed that prayer. And that just seemed like impossible at the time. Like God would have to part the Red Sea. How could that happen? No one was going anywhere. There was no commercial planes. The runway was broken. I mean, I don't know where they were landing to. They were dropping food, I think, and medical supplies. I don't know. And or just flying around looking at the country. <laughs> yeah, I think they might have had one runway for emergency Emergencies. Or well, and I know journalists got in, but um and so we packed up. It was so hard to leave. We were like bawling, saying goodbye to the kids. And um, they were still like a deer in the headlights. But, you know, thank God their parents were home, basically, Madame Dio and Dio. And um, we had been finding out that some of their parents that were not, didn't, couldn't take care of them, but were in Port au Prince or surrounding villages. We were getting words from like, you know, one of the girls, like she had like 20 family members die. And it was just horrible. Um, But we ended up, getting to the embassy and it was chaos. And I remember feeling like, okay, it's good that we're here, but what are we going to do? Because it felt safer, but it's like in God's economy, you know, if he wants us to stay at the M house, then we would, but it felt like he wanted us there at the embassy and it was chaos. There's people from all over the world. People lost their passports. Buildings were, you know, gone and devastated. So they didn't have even their passport. And they couldn't get into the embassy without their passport. And I remember this one French woman, like, just losing her mind. And she's running around the embassy. And she's trying to talk to me. And she's like, I don't have my passport. And all my friends were in the hotel. And they were on the patio. And it collapsed. And... And they had their cell phones and I was calling them and she had been talking to one of them mm. in as like they're stuck in the cement, like, you know, in the rubble. Oh. And she was, it was just like, I was like, I don't, I can't even, I don't know. And she didn't have her passport and she was just trying to figure out what even to do. So that was how crazy and chaotic that whole thing was. But we finally got in and, um, you know, we got kind of those, what are those packs called? Those army packs for food? Yeah, I don't know. They used to call them rations, some kind of rations. Yeah, it's like they're, it's all very interesting food. But they gave us, we all got some food and we got some water. And we, it was, we, there was a big grassy place and we all just hung out there um, and waited and prayed and, you know, kind of breathed a little bit easier. It felt, um, you know, it's like U.S. soil, you know, it, and it felt mm. good, but it also, your heart's just ripping out at the same time. And it, God just continued to take care of us. So we were just sitting on this turf at the embassy outside, and this guy walks in, <laughs> um, Troy Livesay, and he's, him and his wife have an incredible ministry in Haiti, and I think they still have it. 
And um, he walks in with sheets and like sheets. And he's like, I've been looking for you guys for three days. I knew you were here. Someone from Minnesota told us you were here. He's American. And he's like, I just want to make sure you guys are alive. And then he found us at the embassy and gave us, brought blankets for us to sleep outside. Mm. It was so sweet. Mm -hmm. So we just remember, we were just like, God's care during that time was so beautiful. And um, two of the gals said, okay, I think somehow we're going to get out tonight. And so we're just going to pack everything we want in our backpacks in case we got to go. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. How are we going to get out tonight? Like, there just looks like there's no way. They thought they believed and they got their backpacks ready and nobody said anything about this they just said we're gonna get our backpacks ready and everyone kind of settled in for the night and it was about midnight and the whole team is there and we over the intercom it says okay if you're a united states citizen and you have your passport leave your suitcase you can take a backpack that's it and get in line that's all they said get in line And we're like, what? Okay. And so they were ready. And I'm like, my responsibility is to take these girls home, to take the 19-year-old and my friend home, Lori. And, and you know, whoever wants to come who's on the team can go. Like, let's go. And I'm like, okay, everybody, get what you need out of your suitcase, whatever valuables. I mean, we didn't have many. Get your backpack. Let's get in line. Get your passport. And uh, three of us went and then everyone else was still kind of stunned and shocked and they couldn't really go they They couldn't really function they couldn't function and that that was very common there were a lot of americans that were so in shock and had seen so much trauma they couldn't function they just laid on the grass like literally laid on the grass and so god gave us the strength to get in line with our backpacks and i was so devastated because i was like we could all be in line together we could stay together and it was okay though, but I, I knew that this was what God needed me to do. And so we're in line and we're the last people in line. And you heard like, I can't leave my suitcase. Yeah, like kind of no, things I that people aren't thinking this clearly. Stuff. Like, yeah, like people just aren't thinking and nobody was thinking clearly, but I can't, this is my whole suitcase. I can't leave it. I'm like, leave it, you know? And so we were the last people in line and these, black SUVs kept coming up and getting people and putting them in. And I'm like, okay, they've got to be taking us to the airport. We didn't have a clue. They've got to be taking us somewhere. It's pitch black out. And so it's the three of us in the back seat, and I think there was a couple other people in the way back of this SUV. And it was definitely government. Um, And we start driving, and I'm like, I've never been down this road. Like, I know where the airport is. And it's there's no lights. We go through this back gate and it was this back gate of the airport. And then all of a sudden you see, I don't know, were there three or four C-17 United States Air Force C-17s parked? They're huge. Huge planes. So they, they drive tanks into them. Yeah. And tear, you know, yeah. troops and tanks and equipment, heavy equipment. Yeah, big. Yeah. And so I'm at the point where, I mean, I have cried so much. I have laughed. So you just get giddy because you're just like, you just, I, I was just, I was like, okay, we're going through the back gate where, you know, it's like Hollywood here. And I'm just like cracking jokes because I'm yeah, losing my said, mind. You said, what's it? What's I don't know. I said, we're going in like Brad and Angelina style or something. And <laughs> my friends are like, you are not okay. And I'm like, I know. And, but we were 
going to the airport and I'm like, what does this mean, you know? And so it's just the three of us. And for some reason, I was like, I don't know, the first shall be last, last shall be first. We were the last to get on those SUVs. There was a whole string of them. But the first in line to get on the C-17. And we grab our backpacks and I get in this line. Everyone's just like, over here. And there's a a United States Air Force airman standing there looking at me, like at attention. And, And he's like, stand here. And he's like giving us commands and telling us what to do. And he's like, you're going to go this way. You're going to go to the back of this plane. You're going to drop your bag. You're going to get in the jump seat and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like shaking because it's like, this is serious. And I look at him and I go, I just look him straight in the eye. And I said, sir, where are we going? Because there were rumors that we could maybe like go to the Dominican Republic, like, or maybe you're going to go to a different country and wait for somebody to pick you. I mean, it just was like all these rumors. And Cuba, I'm like, I think was on. I'm like, I'm not going to Cuba. Like, <laughs> it was just so scary. And I was like worried about that then. And so I look him in the eye and I'm, I'm like, I said, sir, where are we going? And he looks me straight in the eye, looks right back at me. And he's like, ma'am, you're going home. Every time I hear it, I get choked up. Because um, we were waiting for you to come home. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, everybody was waiting for their loved ones to come home. And every time I hear that, you know, I say, God bless America, God bless the Air Force and all the people that are helping. Yeah. Helping the people who couldn't come home and the people who did, you know, were Mm -hmm. able to. Yeah, and those words were just the most beautiful words I could have heard at that moment. Um. And he just had so much kindness and love in his eyes because <laughs> he knew what, I mean, these guys know what what happened. And I just took a breath and, um, and then he's like, okay, go. <laughs> he's like screaming, go. And so we start running and he's like, no, not that way. I'm running the wrong way. And <laughs> oh my gosh, we get to the back of this big, huge C-17 and it looks like a tank could roll up on it. And we we drop... A- all of our backpacks. It's a ramp. It's a ramp. It's a ramp in the kind back. Of a, a butt door dropping yeah. from the back of the plane, yeah. Yeah. And so we get on the back, dump our, our backpacks, and we're, we get on our jump seats that it can hold like 100. I think it was 110. But so everyone gets in their seats. It's freezing. There's no heat. There's, gonna, there's nothing, you know, to um, – because they're not used to carrying civilians in these planes. And – we're just like, we have shorts on, it's Haiti, you know? And so we're like, okay, where are we going? And we find out we're going to the United States soil. I don't think we knew exactly where we were going yet, Um, but we had comfort in that. And I remember one of the guys going, how many seats do we have left? And he's like, we got 109, sir, 109 filled. We got one left. And at that moment, our nurse friend, Judy, had run. She literally had her foot on the back of the door, the ramp, ramp that's probably a million pounds, and like held the ramp for her to get on, like telling these Air Force men to wait. I'm like, what is happening? She had a moment where she's like, I got to get out of here. And so she somehow got to the airport, like, I don't know, another truck Mm -hmm. must have come or something. And we were 
like wow it that was like a movie it was crazy and so she got she got in and she was the last seat mm. in that C17 and it took you know a couple hours cuz they're so fast and we were freezing the whole time and shaking and we landed in north where was it north carolina new jersey new jersey at what base McGuire, I think. McGuire Air Force Base. Okay. So we landed in McGuire Air Force Base and got off and the Red Cross was there. And um, yeah, I just remember landing and getting off the plane and like kissing the ground because we were on United States soil and, and we were alive. You know, that was the main thing. And so um, remember when I said I pleaded with God that he could get us home quicker than our original tickets? Well, we arrived in Minneapolis two hours ahead of our original arrival time that Friday afternoon. That was another miracle. It was a sweet reunion with our family, but once the adrenaline slowed down, then the survivor's guilt kicked in. The reality of what happened started to sink deep into the crevices of my soul. My heart literally physically hurt for over a year. Through counseling, PTSD work, and prayer, the Lord healed my broken heart for the people of Haiti. I just want to read something that I wrote um, after all of this happened. And um, I don't know, I think it was a couple weeks after I got home. And I just wanted to, you know, thank people for all their prayers because I really do believe that prayer is, you know, one of the main things that got us home because we had hundreds of people praying for us. And hundreds of people um, knowing what was going on and and really interceding for the safety of the people trying to get home and then for the Haitians. And so I just said, I am so thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ that we are home safe. I am so grateful for all of you, your prayers and deep intercession for our team. The, Ma the Mafia Bochette children and home, Pastor and Madame Dio, and for all the people of Haiti. I feel so helpless right now being home. There is nothing better than being home with the love of my life, family and friends, after being in so much fear, anxiety, and deep sadness and grief. I am so thankful. Even yet, um, even though we were in Port-au-Prince during and after the quake, there was not much we could do physically but protect the children, love and hold them because they were so scared after the tremors kept coming. Try to give them a reassuring smile, help the staff with putting things back together in the home and help with cleaning, etc. Our team was some of, somewhat of a burden after the quake to the Mafia Bush home because we were seven more mouths to feed. We were draining them of food, water, and fuel when we didn't know when we were going to be able to get more. Also, we may have been compromising the safety of the children because people knew white people were staying there. The night of the quake, there were two injured outside the walls, and Judy Tate, Tate cleaned them up and nursed them back. Every day more people came for a meal or to stay the night. God keeps reminding me no matter where I am, the most important thing I can do is pray. I have never seen children pray like I did the children of the Mafibochet home during the quake. They were groaning and screaming to God for help and thanksgiving that they were alive. I didn't understand all of their words, but I didn't have to. I felt protected because of their faith and their absolute confidence that God was holding them in the palm of his hand. The night of the quake, I was so full of anxiety and, and shock, I went to my Bible to ask God to give me something to stand firm on. I opened right to Psalm 91, and the next and next to the verse, it said Haiti 2009. 
I must have been reading that verse last June when I was in Haiti and asking for God's protection at that time. And I'm just going to read this last part again. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The letter goes on to say, I know that God had that verse chosen for us six months ago, and it was jumping off the page when I opened my Bible. It gave us such comfort, and I kept open, it open on my bed for two days. God so clearly had his angels surrounding us. The hotel where we took the kids two days before the pool was damaged. The hotel our team would have been at the next day collapsed. Pastor Matter. Madam Dio, um, we're okay, and I go through all of this, but here's the part I want to tell you. Um, there are so many questions. I don't know why our lives were spared and so many others were not. I don't know why I had food to eat this morning and so many in Haiti have nothing to eat for days. The confusion and grief in thinking about these questions and watching what is progressing on TV can be overwhelming. George and I had to remind each other today that first we must be grateful to God that we are all safe and home. We need to continue to lift up Haiti and the M House. Um, Dio is sad but encouraged that pe more people know Jesus and are giving their lives to him. Immediately after the quake, 16 people came to the church to accept the Lord's free gift of salvation. So, and I still feel that way, that my heart is, I don't know why I survived. I don't know why God brought me home, but I know he has a purpose for my life. And when you read the, the end of Psalm 91, where it says, because he loves me, I will rescue him and protect him. And he, because he acknowledges my name, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy and show him my salvation. And the point I got to when I was there is, whether I live or die, I have salvation. Whether he honors me with long life on this earth or into eternity, which he has promised, that's the long life that he promises. And so when you go through something like that, you start to ask yourself those questions and you, you keep eternity in mind much more often and much more... Um, clearly when you're going through hard things because we're still going to continue to go through hard things but I know that God has me here for a purpose and a plan and I just want to continue glorifying him in everything that I do mm -hmm. and so you've you've been you've lived now 12 years since mm -hmm. that time can you think of any examples of how that has strengthened your faith or got you through other things or encouraged others or yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, when people go through hard things, um, whether it be their marriage, you know, whether it be a prodigal son or daughter, you know, whether it be a health crisis, those are the questions that I think are uh, really important to ask because when the rubber meets the road at the end of the day, do we believe that who God says he is, that he's our rescuer, that he is our salvation, that no one comes to the Father except through him, that he is the good shepherd, that he is all-powerful, almighty, and all-present all the time, 
yes. And if we don't go through some of these hard things, he, like I always say, he never wastes a suffering. We don't get the opportunity to exercise that. And I can answer that some, you know, that I've seen it. I've seen it in you. Um, leaning on God, trusting in him um, in, a, in a way that I couldn't. You know, because I because I hadn't experienced that level of mm-hmm. um, leaning on God mm-hmm. and receiving His protection and trust, and and then, but also not needing to say, you know, whether I live or die, God's with me, mm-hmm. and um, so that's I've seen it strengthen your faith in mm-hmm. in further trials that you've had, and yeah. I've been um, I've been seen that as an example and learned from you that way and thank you uh, an ex- yeah it was an inspiration <laughs> that way to see someone's faith strengthen yeah and it was going we went through fertility together after that um you know there's been some struggles and that even strengthened my faith through that for sure mm-hmm. but it's all in the word it's all i mean all of his promises are in the word of god and so no matter what we go through he, um, you know, we're all going to have a Red Sea moment probably where it's like, God, this doesn't look like it's going to work. It doesn't look like you're going to make a way, you know, it doesn't look like I might ever go home. It doesn't look like my daughter's going to come back. It doesn't look like I'm going to have a baby. It doesn't look like my marriage is going to work. You know, we're all going to have those moments. It might not be an earthquake, but you will have an earthquake in your life. And so when you do, um, I just want you to know, like, God is real. God is there. He is a miracle worker. And even when you can't see him or feel him, he, he is working for your good. And so have faith and ask him to strengthen your faith. Ask him to show you his miracles and and even when you don't feel it believe what he says believe psalm 91 read psalm 91 every day because that you don't have to be in haiti in an earthquake to live it i mean our lives are crazy Mm -hmm. enough we live in a fallen world where the prince of this world is roaming but his time is short because jesus is coming back and so whether he comes back tomorrow or we die tomorrow, nobody knows how many days are, are are ordained for them. My prayer for each of you listeners is that when you die or before he comes back, when you see him face to face, like I saw that Air Force Airman look me in the eyes, I want you to hear from Jesus, you're coming home. You're going home. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And he has prepared a place for you. And um, you need to receive him as Lord and Savior, as king of your life. If you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, he rose from the dead, you will be saved. That is the promise. He will rescue you from the pit. He will rescue you from the darkness of this world and give you the freedom and the restoration that he wants for you and he mostly wants to restore you back to himself because he's your father. 
And so, God, if there is anybody out there right now listening, God, that they just aren't sure you're going to say welcome home at that moment that they um, leave this world, God, or when you come back, I pray, God, now that they will say that they're sorry. God, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That they will say they're sorry for their sins, God that they will follow you as Lord of their life and you will be their king. God, I pray that you will restore them back to you and that they will have a moment with you where they know, God, that there is, they don't need to fear, that you love them so much that perfect love casts out all fear and that they will continue uh, to walk with you the narrow road having you be the Lord of their life. Thank you, God, for this story, God. I pray that you would continue to glorify yourself through the pain and the suffering of everyone listening, God, because you always want what is best for your people, and you always want to be glorified and known more. I thank you, Father. Thank you for George and his um, prayer warrior attitude through this entire thing. Thank you for his love, and thank you for all the people that prayed um, through this time. And God, we pray for Haiti. We pray for the devastation that's going on now, the violence, um, God, the political turmoil. We pray that you would provide everything those people need. And mostly, God, we pray uh, that you would soften their hearts towards you so they would worship the one true God. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus, Yeshua. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. Amen.